Back in 2008, the range of tools that engineers could use to connect computer systems together were getting quite good. Cloud computing was democratizing access to servers. But the telephony ecosystem was still inaccessible to the average developer. If you needed your program to make a phone call and connect a user to a customer service representative, there was no easy way to do that. If you needed two-factor authentication, there was not an easy way to do that. Twilio was started to make it easier for developers to connect to telephone systems using simple API calls. This has unlocked many important use cases, from Uber's communication systems to Airbnb's communication systems to the widespread adoption of two-factor authentication. In this episode, Twilio VP of Product Management Pat Malatak joins the show to explain how the company builds and scales the telephony systems that underpin applications which we use every day. We also talked about how Twilio's culture shapes how engineering proceeds at the company. Twilio has a distinct culture, and it's a really interesting dive into how that culture works and how it has helped the company scale so rapidly. Pat Malatak is a VP of Product Management at Twilio. Pat, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Great to be here. I want to start by discussing SMS because you spent a lot of time developing the messaging product. What are the conditions when a developer needs SMS functionality in their application? You know, we, we see developers adding SMS to their applications in a variety of different uh, use cases. Um, so the, the most common one or the one I think folks think about the most is, uh, you know, one-way transactional messaging, right? Your flight's been delayed, um, you know, uh, uh, your food's on the way, uh, these type of alerts and notifications that happen. And really, uh, one of the things that's great about alerts and notifications is that there's literally every application needs alerts and notifications as part of the experience. Uh, so that's one of the key um, uh, uh, use cases of messaging for sure. Uh, but one of the things we've actually seen is a lot of uh, uh, conversational use cases increasingly uh, where, you know, you maybe start off with a, hey, your flight's been delayed. Uh, and then what do you do when the customer replies with like, hey, <laughs> uh, great. So when's the next flight out of here, right? The flight's been canceled. When's the next flight out of here? Um, uh, and what we're seeing increasingly is uh, these business workflows that uh, maybe initially start with some um, you know, transactional notification, uh, you know, the, your, your credit card was just charged. Well, wait, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't using that credit card. What's going on? That then actually turn into more and more of these conversational use cases. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, uh, a variety of different use cases that folks are building on top of SMS. Um, you know, we've seen things like chatbots being built on top of the SMS platform. Um, you know, there's the use case I think a lot of folks are familiar about on Twilio where you're able to text uh, your driver, but that anonymizes the, the communication or you can text a personal shopper at Nordstrom. Um, uh, and, and we've seen a ton of things. At New York Times uh, at the Olympics uh, actually had uh, a way to do sort of content and storytelling via SMS. Uh, so they would basically send you a text message um, and it was Sam at the news desk. Uh, and here's what we're seeing um, in Rio. Um, and they would actually send uh, images, they send uh, messages, and you could actually uh, click on a link to go see the story. So. Um, one of the things I'd say across the board is a lot of folks think of SMS as just that sort of first use case, transactional alerts and notifications, uh, but there's a lot more people can do with it. And we're seeing really, really interesting um, ways to integrate communications into um, uh, different types of experiences, media experiences, um, as well as customer service experiences. Sure. So, so the core protocol of SMS is pretty constrained. It's yes. a pretty old 
protocol 30 years old. Right. So when you're talking about all these new use cases, does that mean that Twilio has to expand the functionality of the SMS API, or is it more you just keep the API simple and the same and the customer builds in the rich functionality? Yeah, so the API doesn't change. Um, Twilio's uh, SMS API uh, allows you to send um, uh, you know, messages to virtually any device on, on Earth. Uh, and, and a lot of the reason why developers are, why are they using SMS? Um, uh, you know, why is it it's such a, a prevalent way to send messages? Well, it's the ubiquity of, of the channel, right? Um, uh, so people want to use SMS uh, because of the number of devices. You can reach literally, there's not a phone on the planet that doesn't support SMS today. Uh, and so that's one of the key reasons why um, uh, folks choose SMS as a channel. Um, uh, and increasingly what we're seeing is that uh, uh, developers and, and, and companies need to be able to communicate with their customers um, uh, wherever their customers are. And increasingly, you know, uh, it, we as individuals are choosing messaging as the way to communicate with one another. Um, and so that's sort of driving this trend for folks want, wanting to text businesses as well. Um, uh, and so, but yeah, so for, for, in terms of the API, the API doesn't change. Um, uh, you're able to reach any device on the planet. Um, uh, it's a to, it's a from, it's a body. Um, uh, and you can also hand us an image and we'll, we'll make that an MMS for you. Um, so, so that doesn't change. Uh, and we design the API, um, uh, our, our approach here is to build intent-based APIs. Um, and so one of the things that's really neat about an intent-based API um, is, uh, you know, we launched uh, support for Facebook Messenger integration um, uh, back in May. Uh, when you design not to expose the underlying protocol and you just design about the intent, a to, a from, and a body, um, you can actually then adapt it to new messaging mediums that, uh, that, that are, are made available. Things like WeChat, Viber, uh, Facebook Messenger, all which we've been adding uh, those capabilities into Twilio's APIs over time. So in terms of the SMS, though, so since you have been spending your time in product management, does the, in what ways does the SMS product have to evolve? Or is it more like you build the SMS product and if it doesn't have to change much, if the external API doesn't have to change much, I mean, are you just, do you have to change stuff on, on the back end in terms of the capacity planning or what exactly needs to change in terms, like what does the SMS team have to do to manage the, the ongoing uh, API? Yeah, so the, the, the SMS team is constantly uh, making changes to the backend services. Um, you know, at, at Twilio overall, uh, we deploy to production you know, over 60 times a day. Uh, so we're constantly making updates. And, and uh, one of the things uh, uh, you know, we, we've made sure uh, to ensure on our API is that we don't change the API uh, behind the scenes on developers, right? When developers choose an API, when they build on your platform, that's a long-term commitment, right? Um, and so we've sorted backwards compatibility, even on our 2008 APIs, still up and running running, still doing their job. Um, uh, but we are constantly changing the services that power those APIs behind the scenes. Um, you know, we're adding new carrier interconnects. We're, um, you know, uh, adding more capacity. We're, um, you know, ensuring that, uh, you know, when we originally launched in, in 2008, uh, we weren't able to support uh, Unicode characters for, you know, double byte encoded uh, languages um, uh, like Korean and Japanese. And we added those capabilities in, in 2011. So um, even though, you know, the to, the from, the body, that part doesn't change. Um, uh, the capabilities of the language, uh, the capabilities the, of the platform are actually getting better every day. Um, and developers get the benefit of that. Uh, if in 2008 you had used Twilio, you sent a message uh, and it had double byte encoded character, we turn it into a question mark, right? That was sort of the early days of, of uh, uh, Twilio, 2009 rather. Uh, those are early days of, of Twilio. Uh, but over time, as we've gotten, improved the capabilities of our platform, as we've uh, brought on more and more direct carrier relationships, we can actually ensure that 
you're able to send your emojis <laughs> just right. as fine with Twilio as you are um, uh, sending it in iMessage or sending it to your friends uh, over SMS. Yeah. In developing countries, you see these interesting applications for SMS, such as online banking. Yep. Does Is that, like, as, you know, because it's interesting because in the States, we have more, more bandwidth. So if somebody wants to do online banking, they just use a uh, bandwidth-intensive web application to access their online bank, but in developing countries, they use SMS. Does that change how Twilio thinks about uh, about developing the SMS functionality, like uh, making it more involved, or do you really think that the bread and butter is just going to be that simple API with the richness on the back end, improving reliability, improving speed, and whatnot? Yeah, so so for us, you know, we we've uh, tried to add more and more reach over time, um, uh, add add more carriers, more countries, um, uh, and and we found, you know, particularly some of the things you're talking about are really really relevant actually for uh, our nonprofit arm, um, Twilio.org. Um, so Twilio.org goes into a, a lot more of these developing countries, and, and there's a lot of uh, nonprofits that are using Twilio um, in some of these other regions to, to help sort of those that are underbanked. Um, uh, but at the heart of it, though, it's still the same API. Right, it's programmatic. Um, uh, if you want to, you know, attach customer service on one end, you can go ahead and do that. If you want to attach, you know, a web server uh, that's logged into to uh, a banking application on the other end, you can do that too. Awesome. Uh, so there are these short codes, and then there's normal phone numbers on on Twilio, or this is just in the text messaging ecosystem. Um, and the short codes have higher throughput. I think they go faster. Can you explain some of like what's going on in the back end there? How those short, how the short code infrastructure, like when you get a message from seven four seven five two, and it's yeah. it's really fast. It's like feels faster than a normal SMS message. What's going on there? Yeah. So uh, uh, today in in uh, the U.S. and actually varies by every country in the world. So uh, the complexity of this, uh, I'll talk through the the U.S. Uh, specifically, okay. but it, it will vary in every single country on earth. So um, uh, certain countries allow um, uh, another. Uh, uh, a messaging capability called Alpha Sender. Um, so Alpha Sender um, uh, basically allows you to just send a message from text, right? Like Nike, <laughs> Disney. Um, you can actually send a message out. Uh, uh, it's not replyable uh, because it's not in address space. Um, uh, but for a one-way alert, uh, Alpha Sender is pretty common, uh, um, especially in Europe. Uh, so uh, a good chunk of, of Europe, and that's a capability that that Twilio has. Once again, we didn't have it at day one when the, the product line launched. It's one of those things that's occurred. Uh, we've made changes uh, behind the scenes and added those capabilities over time. Uh, but what happens with the, the shortcode ecosystem um, is uh, effectively in uh, the U.S., uh, we have a, a shortcode ecosystem where you can register for a shortcode. You can have the uh, those shortcodes be either sort of random set of numbers. You can also have them be, you know, uh, what, what are called vanity numbers. It's like the shortcode maps to uh, uh, some attribute about your business, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, so I think Square um, uh, is, is a customer. They actually have Square, right? So it's like as if you were to dial it in on a keypad, uh, you'd have um, uh, Square. So it's a five or six digit um, uh, uh, number. Uh, and you can request the specific ones or you can get a, a, a random one. Um, uh, and uh, those shortcodes are, are basically directly uh, uh, connected to the carrier's, um, what are called SMSCs. Um, but they're, they're basically their uh, messaging platforms inside the carriers. And so we have a, a direct pipe on those. And it's sort of its own sort of uh, uh, fast lane channel um, that we can use to reach, you know, large, large number of folks. So, you know, if you want to be doing things like, you know, sending an alert to all of San Francisco, uh, you're going to need a lot of throughput. 
right? Um, uh, and so we have a number of customers that are, um, uh, you know, have these type of use cases, right? Um, you know, a college campus that wants to be able to alert, uh, you know, all their students all at once. Um, these are the type of things that are, are uh, really, really common for uh, short codes. Um, or if you're running a campaign, right? If you're, you know, airing a Super Bowl ad, <laughs> you know, these are the type of things that uh, uh, certainly you'd want a short code for. Um, uh, and it's also just a great way to sort of brand your experience. It's uh, easier to remember than a full phone number, um, and uh, a lot of folks opt for, for shortcuts. Now, part of setting up Twilio, the company, was integrating with these telecoms, and I think that was part of why Twilio didn't exist before, because that's a tall order. Can you explain some of the challenges of integrating with telecoms, or how that works, and how it, you know, what's the process of going from telecom friction to like the seamless end experience? Yeah. So, you know, before Twilio, uh, the way you would get anything done with uh, uh, telecom or the carriers is uh, uh, first you'd start off, there was no sort of open access, no self-service sign up, um, uh, you know, to go uh, uh, get a shortcut with, with uh, the, the, the telcos uh, or get a phone number or any of these things. So typically what you would need to start off with was first sort of protracted carrier neg negotiations where they'd be asking you to sign, you know, a uh, multi-million dollar <laughs> five-year commitment uh, on the, on you know, uh, whatever it is. And, and for, you know, many of the builders of the world, they're like, I'm just testing out an idea, <laughs> right? Like, I, I can't commit to $15 million up front uh, just to see if this thing's going to work. Um, uh, and so for developers, this, this didn't really map to how developers worked. Right, uh, and so and so that was sort of how you would make things happen with uh, uh, the the carriers of the world. So what Twilio did was we said like, great. Well, what if we actually go do this with all the the telcos and all the carriers of the world? We we you know have a, a business development team that can go do this. Uh, we sort of shoulder the risk of of this not but then we make it available to developers. Yeah. We make it self service. Um, uh, we enable developers with just you know a, a credit card and a you know a dollar a month to be able to get started. So that they can test ideas, they can try new things out, they can create these type of, you know, the New York Times experience I was talking about. They can create, you know, uh, many of these different ways to use communication than, frankly, you know, uh, the carriers have even thought of, right? Um, uh, and so, so that was sort of, that's step one, right? First, you got to know someone. <laughs> like, you can't just sort of walk in the door and, and uh, get a connection with a carrier. You got to um, uh, know the ecosystem, you need to, to, to be involved. You need to throw down a lot of money um, uh, to get started. And then you got to integrate with these protocols that, like, frankly, like, are pretty ancient, right? Um, things like um, uh, SS7, uh, SMPP, there are 30 GSM protocols that are, you know, 30-some years old, um, uh, which for, like, a web developer, is dramatically different than anything they've ever uh, built with before. So you have sort of these technical barriers, which is these protocols that are very, very different than what web developers are uh, traditionally used to. You have uh, commercial barriers. Um, you have sort of business development barriers. Um, and you have that. And then you have fragmentation. You have this not just in the U.S. It's, you know, a bunch of different carriers in the U.S. Then you have it on every single uh, country. And, and from our perspective, totally, like, why doesn't this work just like email? Like, why can't I uh, use this as a communication mechanism just like I can everything else on the internet? Yeah. Uh, and so really what we've been trying to do um, uh, at Twilio uh, is to take, you know, to, t to shoulder the burden of, of solving that fairly complex, yeah. fragmented problem everywhere around the globe. You know, we have offices now in Asia, offices in Europe, 
doing, uh, uh, talking to these carriers, getting these connections in place, um, uh, and building what we call our super network, uh, building these this sort of consolidated set of uh, connectivity all around the globe and commercial agreements. Um, building that together and then allowing us to take it and hand it to developers in a self-service way. So they don't need to think about it, that they can just get started and they can actually focus on the building of their application, the logic and what it does for their customers. You see this in FinTech where there's all these antiquated protocols that they're, well, actually they're not even like banking, some of them are banking specific protocols, but a lot of the banks they're using just FTP and other protocols that don't get used as much anymore. But these things never go away. They just end up getting papered over with like new APIs. And it sounds like that's, that's what Twilio um, is, is doing. And then you, you know, you just paper it over, paper over it. And then you just give the developer a great experience and they don't know the difference. And it's, it's a, I mean, that's the, that's how software works. It seems to be how software works is there's no, there's never a big bang like, hey, let's build a completely new telecom and then build a new API. It's like let's let's build just nice interfaces on top of the old interfaces, um, and so at the top of that is the nice Twilio interfaces, which are well defined. And I, I find it interesting because if you if you say, okay, we're going to start building APIs for communication, we're going to start with voice, and then we're going to go to SMS. There's so many different things you could build for an API for for communication that was previously uh, you know, only the domain of somebody who wanted to do uh, who wanted to integrate with these compl- complicated protocols. So when you think about product management, what is the right surface area for an API? Because Twilio has a lot of different APIs, and I imagine that kind of each API is devoted to a, a narrow team, and that team is very focused on delivering a high-quality product for that narrow use case. Because, of course, developers want highly constrained APIs because it makes it easier to reason about what's the right surface area for an API. Yeah, so for Twilio, as a cloud communications platform, what we did was sort of take a step back and say, what are all the ways you want to communicate, right? What are the core sort of building blocks, the primitives of communication that ought to be there? Right, uh, and we sort of started from that and built these core primitives. And so we built SMS as a core primitive. We built voice as a core primitive. Um, uh, we uh, introduced chat as a core primitive. Uh, we've now introduced video as a core primitive. We said, what are all the different ways in which um, uh, uh, you, as a developer, what are all the different ways in which your application may want to uh, communicate? Right. We built them as uh, core. Uh, capable primitives that you can integrate into your application um, or, or service. Uh, and, and a lot of folks think of Twilio, just SMS, just voice. That's where we started. But we've been enhancing those core primitives over time um, uh, and, and, and really sort of focusing on uh, creating those core primitives such that developers can come in and say, great, now I have voice capability that I can add to my app. Here's all the, the neat things that I want to do. And then what we do is we look at what they're building on top of that, those core primitives of communication, uh, we look at the problems that are solved and we say, how do we make that easier for the next developer that comes along? Um, so a, a really good example of this is uh, voice. So we started off with voice as the first product line that, that Twilio had, and we saw a pattern. We saw a bunch of our customers building contact centers on top of Twilio. Right? They built an IVR, they connect you to an agent that was in the browser um, using our WebRTC client. Um, uh, they, they'd uh, uh, be in the browser using our WebRTC client, and what we found was uh, they would uh, be doing things like, hey, well, now I need a call queue, 
right? I need to be able to put someone on hold if my agents aren't available, et cetera. And so we said, great, how do we make that easier? Um, uh, they said, hey, I have to build a whole bunch of logic to do routing to the right agent if you uh, need a Spanish speaker, if um, you, know, you need someone that's a product specialist in X, right? Uh, and we, we looked at our customers, so how are they doing that? And we added capabilities to make that even easier. So we introduced a, a feature called Q, which is a call Q as a service, right? Uh, we introduced a feature called TaskRouter. Um, TaskRouter allows you to basically define capabilities for agents and define logic for assigning um, uh, customers that are contacting you to those various different agents. Uh, and so, you know, what we, we do at Twilio is we try and build these very, very primitive horizontal communication primitives, right? Um, uh, the most uh, uh, capable way to do any of these different ways in which humans communicate. And then we look at what all of our innovative customers do, what they build on top of this, sort of where they take it. And we say, great, how do we make that easier for the next customer that is just getting started? It sounds like it requires a lot of communication with those customers, a lot of ongoing communication. Yeah, we, we, we spend a ton of time with our customers. Um, uh, and, and one of the, the ways I've described product management at Twilio is it's sort of like meta product management because many of our customers are building products right. <laughs> for other customers. Right. Uh, and so us sort of sitting in there with their product teams and better understand what type of experience do you want to create for your end customer is a lot of what we find uh, uh, spending our time doing. In some ways, that sounds easier than product management for a consumer product because you're dealing with people who are building products so they probably know how to how to communicate what they would like from Twilio yeah, it, it, us sitting down with our customers is fantastic as, as a, a product uh, manager here is because you're sitting down with the builders inside. They're the developers, they're the PMs, they're the product teams inside of, of many of the, the consumer brands all of us know and love. Uh, and uh, sort of sitting with them and sort of brainstorming ideas. How could we make this easier? Oh, great. You want to integrate video into this experience. Great. How do, how do we make that easier? It's just a ton of fun. Uh, this is, uh, for me, it's a, it's a, a really, really fun job. Uh, uh, because we get to learn so much from all of the folks that are building on top of Twilio. Uh, we get to, to uh, you know, learn from our customers in, in really unique ways. Yeah. So you talked earlier about how, so you have, you know, SMS, for example, and like the you, you build the API, it's got just the fields from, to, and then content. But there on the back end, there is ongoing development in how the product proceeds, how it gets built out more richly in the back end. Um, can you talk, I mean, cause it sounds like, so, you know, you take something like SMS or two factor authentication. It sounds like these very well-formed problems. Once you get it out, it seems like a solved problem. What is the product management process like for an ongoing product like that? Cause how do you manage it from the back end? Cause if, you know, if you're building these primitives, once you get one of the primitives built, it seems like if if the develop if the end user is saying, okay, now two factor authentication is solved for me, they're going to go on and think about something else. And you talked about the product management process of talking to the customers about the things that are built on top of those primitives. So, what's the product management process like for the ongoing development of those primitives? Yeah, so let's take two factor authentication uh, for example. So, um, th this is actually a really good example for a variety of different um, uh, reasons. So, two factor auth um, uh, is one of the use cases we saw on top of SMS, right? Uh, so, we have our uh, SMS product. A lot of people said, great, I'm going to send a pin code out. I'm going to use uh, Twilio SMS to do that. Uh, and we asked ourselves, as I mentioned on TaskRouter, we asked ourselves, how can we make this easier? 
Like, well, at the time, developers were auto-generating pin codes. Um, uh, they had some verification flow in their application. Uh, and so what we did was, how do we make it easier? Um, and uh, lo and behold, uh, one of our customers um, uh, had already built a solution for developers that did this, a, a company called Authy. Um, uh, and so we acquired Authy um, uh, in February uh, 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 a couple of years ago. And, uh, and Authy basically was another API that sat on top of Twilio's voice and SMS platforms, because they can call you and set, read you a pin code as well, that made the problem of two-factor authentication even easier. Mm -hmm. You didn't need to auto-generate pin codes. You, didn't, uh, you would just hit a service and say, hey, the user entered X. Is this valid um, uh, for this given phone number? Uh, and they solved more and more of that problem such that developers didn't need to do as much heavy lifting. Um, uh, and then what we saw was customers wanted even more than that. So, you know, it may feel like a solved problem, but what we're seeing from the market is folks saying, great, I actually want to build two-factor authentication directly into my application experience. Um, uh, and the Authy team uh, released a, a set of SDKs called OneTouch, um, uh, which basically allow you to, to integrate authentication. If you have an application, uh, a mobile application, you can actually integrate two-factor authentication as part of that experience. So rather than entering a PIN code, you just get a push notification. You swipe and you press a yes or a no button. <laughs> Right, uh, and then the, then it enables you to sort of enter into that web application, and they perform the two-factor authentication through their mobile app. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think sometimes we feel like these are uh, solved problems, uh, but what we're seeing from our customers is they're sort of pushing the envelope in terms of customer experience, constantly improving it, um, uh, and they're asking us to solve more and more of this problem for them so that they can focus. Uh, not on um, you know uh, just the communication components. They want to focus on whatever their core business is, um, uh, whether that's you know Uber and it's it's um, uh, enabling folks to have a ride anywhere in the world. They want to spend their time focused on that, not the communication that just happens to be required to build a great experience. And in the Authy example, the service area of the API does expand, but the old API does not get deprecated. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and when we do this, this um, uh, well, the idea for the developer is that they can do one integration and get the benefit of any channel that we offer, whether it's a, uh, a mobile application, whether it's SMS, whether it's voice, and you can just choose, yeah. right? And, and frankly, what many of our customers have done, they've actually let that be their customer preference. Some customers are cool with having the mobile app and getting a push notification. Others want an SMS and others may want to get a voice call. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about the strategies for maintaining relationships between PMs and engineers and how you've viewed that. I've heard these horror stories of times where the engineering team that a PM is interacting with loses faith in the PM and kind of just starts ignoring them and then it's somewhat anarchic. And um, so the so man, like getting the relationship between a PM and the engineers is pretty important, particularly if that PM is the communication point between customers and engineers. Can you talk about how you've seen that work successfully at Twilio or perhaps, I don't know, anti-patterns that you've seen in the past that uh, prevent it from working sometimes? Yeah, so, so one thing uh, just off the bat uh, is making sure that the PM isn't just the choke point for communication between the engineers and customers. Put the customer in the room with the engineers, right? Um, uh, really, you know, what we, and, and we do this all the time here. Um, you know, our customers are developers. Uh, those building our product are developers. Many of our PMs are developers. Um, uh, and so just put the customer in the room and let the, the team understand the customer need firsthand. 
Uh, we have a, a, a process here at Twilio we call um, uh, Own the Ticket, but it, it's basically where we have um, our product teams, our engineers um, doing customer support tickets as well. Um, the more uh, your engineering team uh, knows the needs and, the, and the, the problems that our customers are facing, the better we can build the right products uh, and services for them. And that, that's not a product thing. That is a everyone on the team thing. Um, uh, and, and I think sometimes you, you, you see uh, organizations that are too specific about, no, no, the PM does this, the engineer does that. You know, at, at Twilio, our customers are developers, um, uh, and some of the best ideas in the organization are coming from our engineering teams. Um, uh, and so we, we try and actually make sure that engineers are sitting with customers as well. It's not just a, a, a product thing here at Twilio. Uh, that, that's that's one thing that that is uh, really a, a big part of our culture. The second thing is we have a, a small teams model here at Twilio. So everything that we do, we we, we have these what we call small teams, and, and the small teams at Twilio uh, uh, basically they uh, typically own uh, a problem, um, they own a set of services, they're able to release independently. Um, they're made up of of uh, you know usually about five to eight engineers and a PM and an EM, um, uh, but they have autonomy. They own their own destiny um, uh, and they have a customer and they're accountable to that customer. Uh, and that's a real big part of our uh, culture here at Twilio. Um, uh, and, and teams work with other teams at Twilio the same way we work with our customers via APIs. Um, uh, and so it actually makes a collaboration at scale um, uh, much, much easier than, than you would imagine, um, uh, you know, at, at a larger organization because, you know, teams can basically use internal services of other teams that, that, that they've built. Um, so much like Authy uses our SMS product and our voice product, um, we have a set of internal uh, services that, that teams are, we have a shared billing platform, right? So when a new product line comes out, they're able to use the APIs of our billing team, um, rather than needing to go sit into a, a bunch of meetings with that team, you know, coordinate roadmap. Uh, and, and instead, what we drive our teams to do is have self-service APIs for all uh, both internal and external services that, that we're building. This gets at uh, one of the things that I find really interesting about Twilio when I'm researching and studying it is uh, Jeff Lawson, the Twilio CEO, really took a lot from his time at Amazon. And I, I worked at Amazon for about eight months. And um, what you're talking about with the well-defined APIs for a team, like, because uh, Jeff Bezos says communication is a failure. You don't want to have to have teams verbally communicating with each other about their requirements. You want every team to have a well-defined API that they're exposing, if not to the customer, to other teams. Um, do you find that that phrase to be true? Like communication is a failure. Your your API should be well defined in like a wiki or what? I mean, talk about how because well, I think what you touched on is actually very profound. The fact that you have a well defined API for the billing team, for example, and if you're some random team in Twilio and you want to interact with the billing team, the billing team exposes an API, and that is how you build a scalable organization. Yeah, so I, I probably wouldn't go as far to say communication is a, a failure all in of itself. Uh, sometimes the API that's exposed to you doesn't support, frankly, really important needs that you as a team may have, right? Um, uh, the, the place where we don't want there to be unnecessary, com unnecessary communication is if the service solves the problem end-to-end -end, exactly as you need it, you ought to just be able to use it. Um, you shouldn't you shouldn't be blocked trying to schedule a meeting with some other team somewhere else in the organization. Uh, you should just be able to go, be able to be, uh, be unblocked, and and be able to own your own destiny. Autonomous, able to release independently. 
Uh, if, for example, that team doesn't support something that you need and that's important to you, um, you know, typically that, that's when uh, you know, uh, teams will get in the room and, and describe, hey, this is why we think this is important. This is why we think you should build this as opposed to another team because we think this will be common. There's three or four other teams that have the same problem. Uh, so I wouldn't sort of uh, uh, say exclusively communication is a failure. Uh, I'd say unnecessary communication um, can slow organizations down. Um, uh, and, and making sure that you're having the right communication on the right set of problems is really, really key. Uh, and, and you want to make sure you don't have gatekeepers um, uh, uh, for the sake of gatekeeping, right? Um, uh, so build those services, allow people to adopt them, um, uh, and enable, enable you to actually improve the products of other teams that frankly could be in different time zones, different countries. You may not even know those teams. Um, that, that's actually uh, 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 one of the powerful parts of this model. Um, it allows you to basically uh, collaborate without necessarily active collaboration. Uh, that's the power of software. Uh, and it's the same way that uh, Twilio, you know, we have more than a million developers on the platform, right? How do we collaborate with our customers? Same way, self-service APIs, give them tools. Uh, enable them to, to be able to, to leverage our services um, without us necessarily needing to have a million conversations every day. Like I said, Jeff Lawson worked at Amazon Web Services, and when I look at the structure of Twilio, I really do see a lot of the best aspects of Amazon. And you know, in the interviews I've heard with Jeff, he just he talks about his time at AWS as being very formative. Does he refer to that a lot? Does he talk about that a lot? Like, are there any um, lessons that you've heard him talk about that he's taken away from that experience? Yeah, we take a lot of inspiration from uh, Amazon, certainly. Uh, Jeff had spent time there, so we, we certainly take a lot of inspiration from them. Uh, we also take a lot of inspiration from other other places where um, uh, we have folks in the leadership team that have spent time at, at other technology companies. Uh, um, uh, Oid Kock, for our, our VP Engineering, um, uh, is, is ex-Skype. Uh, and so there's a bunch of things around communications that we've learned um, 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 from from Oit as well, and I think you know the best organizations sort of take the best ideas uh, from everywhere. I, oh, I'm ex Microsoft. I completely agree with uh, that. Yeah, and, and uh, brought a bunch of ideas for me uh, uh, from Microsoft as well. And so the best organizations take bits and pieces of uh, uh, things that have worked in, in other organizations they've been in. Um, and, and certainly, uh, uh, we we've uh, modeled a lot of what we do uh, around how Amazon's done things. Uh, but we've also innovated. We, we've introduced some things ourselves that are um, uh, very very different than than what we seen elsewhere. Um, what are some the, examples of that? Yeah, well, one of them is actually we, we do something uh, a, a twice a year called Tweak. Um, uh, so it's a Twilio week, <laughs> Tweak. Um, uh, but basically, it's an uh, uh, entire week. Uh, we actually have our, our uh, Tweak coming up uh, in the next few weeks here. Uh, it's an entire week where we allow our teams to self-organize. Um, and we, we have very few constraints on our teams. One, we want them to work in teams. Um, uh, they're allowed to self-organize for the entire week. We take you know, all the sprint planning, all that stops. Um, teams self-organize. Uh, they uh, work on projects that they propose and they pitch. They pitch to the rest of the company. Um, uh, uh, and uh, you know, the, really the main constraint of it is that it's something that moves the needle for our customers. Uh, and so we do um, tweak uh, uh, twice a year to really sort of allow us to um, let other ideas surface up. Uh, throughout the organization. Uh, and some folks in your organization 
um, uh, express their ideas in different ways. There's a bunch yeah. of folks that express their ideas with just code. Like, great. Tweak is a perfect opportunity to get that prototype out the door to show how this is, is moves the needle for our customers yeah. uh, and to work with the team uh, uh, to go after that, that, that problem space, uh, which is different than sort of the, the, the rest of the planning process that we have as an organization. So, so we, we've tried to take the best of what we've seen in other companies and mix it in with a little bit of, of what is our culture and our, our experiences here at Twilio uh, and come up with something unique. That's like a mandatory batch of what other companies might call 20% time, basically. Yeah, and, and, and we allow teams to, to the, the other thing that's really useful here is is it allows for self-organization. Yeah. It allows you to meet, you know, we have folks on our messaging team working with our video team. We have folks, you know, throughout the company working on new technologies, yeah. different stacks. So you get shared learning across the organization uh, in a way that you, you kind of don't in those 20% time. That's really smart because a lot of the companies that do the two pizza team style that, that Amazon kind of pioneered and that I guess Twilio has... Uh, adopted as small teams, as you refer to, you do get a lot of siloing, and when in and there are costs. I mean, there's advantages to the siloing, but there's also costs. Clearly, um, and and I like the idea of the this is dedicated time to innovate sort of thing. Um, like when I was at Amazon, uh, personally as a developer, I mean, you know, I started doing software engineering because I like the create creative aspect of it, and. There wasn't dedicated time to building interesting stuff, you know. So I was, you know, I'd be like at this company. I'm like, yeah, I really wish there w- was a structured opportunity for me to to. Instead, you kind of have to navigate the bureaucracy of a company if you want to get if you want to get your idea out there. You know, the, Amazon had this six pager thing. You know, you got to write a six pager to describe your idea, and you've got to do everything on nights and weekends if you want to get an idea going. But I really like the idea of. You bake in a biannual process, or I don't know, biannual, multiannual. What is it called? Twice a year. <laughs> twice, twice a year process of, of that of that uh, innovation. Um, that's interesting. C- can you talk more about how new APIs or new products at Twilio, like what's the R and D process for getting stuff out the door and getting traction behind a pro- a, uh, a project? How does that work? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing I think we do here is we, we just try and listen to our customers. As a, a platform company, um, you know, many of the, the, the most interesting things are really just customer driven. You know, we're building uh, these building blocks um, and then we observe the way in which all the innovators of the world, you know, the, the customers building on the platform, we observe the way in which they've configured those building blocks um, and that provides inspiration for us for the next product line. Um, saying to us, like, yeah, you should go do something like Authy. We have a ton of people doing two-factor Auth. You should build a task. Order. You should build a call queue. Uh, and so a lot of, of uh, where our new ideas come from uh, and a lot of, uh, of that actually comes from how do we make it easier for customers to do this thing that those customers are already doing? Um, so that, that's sort of one way in which uh, we've seen uh, new ideas come about and, and, uh, and it is very, very customer-driven. The other way is... Um, uh, us sort of looking at internal platforms that we've created, things that we've built ourselves to solve a hard engineering problem, um, and asking ourselves, you know, as a developer company, you know, all of us are developers here, you know, could other developers get the benefit of this? Um, a really good example of that um, uh, is our uh, a product we launched recently called Sync. Um, so Sync is a state synchronization, um, a real-time state synchronization service uh, uh, as a service. Right. 
Um, uh, and uh, we had built a product uh, called Programmable Chat, which allows you to embed chat in iOS, Android, JavaScript. Um, you can sort of build your own um, uh, chat experiences. You can build things like Slack with, with the uh, Programmable Chat product. We built that product, but one of the technical challenges we had to do um, was to build a real-time state synchronization engine for typing indicators, for uh, sending the messages, and, and making that, that state synchronization engine uh, be responsive in you know, you know, fractions of millisecond, millisecond time, right? And so we had built this internal service uh, really to, to power that product. Uh, and then we asked ourselves like, great, well, developers out there, many developers have this problem, right? And, and they're not just solving chat. In fact, we actually saw some customers using this to solve a state, using chat to solve a state synchronization problem. We're like, wow, this is really, really cool. Um, so what if we just took this product that we, this internal service that we'd already built, why don't we make it available directly to our customers? Because our, our teams internally are operating with well-defined interfaces um, uh, and uh, you know their services, uh, uh, we have service-oriented architecture here at Twilio. Uh, and so that's one of the other ways that um, new products come about at Twilio. As we look at the abstractions we've built, the internal services we built, and we ask ourselves, could our customers get benefit from this? Um, uh, you know, could this help solve a problem uh, for our customers? And, and when we find that that's the case, we, we go ahead and we make it a product. Um, and we, we make it available to our developers just as we've made it available to developers here at Twilio. I want to come back to talking about the um, overarching principles of Twilio. So, like, you know, there's these management principles that that Twilio has, and I remember first kind of seeing the power of management principles at Amazon. Um, you maybe you have seen them at Microsoft uh, from your time there. Um, I'm sure you've seen them at Twilio, and. Um, if I'm sure some of the engineers listening have worked at companies where the management principles meant nothing, and maybe all of the companies they've worked at are companies where the management principles have meant nothing. But if you get the management principles right, it actually has a profound impact on the way that the company is structured. Can you talk about how those manifest at Twilio and how you've found those to be valuable and why they are not just a like throwaway corporate nonsense sort of thing? Yeah, so typically the the principles that end up being this throwaway corporate nonsense thing are, uh, you know, a set of principles. Integrity. Yeah, integrity, right? Like, they're not actionable, right? Um, it's like, yeah, well, of course, everybody's in favor of integrity, right? Um, uh, you know, honesty. Like, yeah, okay, great. We don't want a bunch of liars at the company. Um, uh, but they don't actually have meaning within the culture um, and in the way in which people uh, work. Uh, and, and typically they sort of are like, they come down from some other team uh, and they're like thrust upon the employees. Uh, and, and we actually took a different approach when we uh, put together, uh, you know, our, our uh, nine things as, as we call them. Uh, we actually looked at what were the things that we valued amongst each other. Um, uh, and we said like, great, let's write that down. Let's document that so that every new uh, Twilion that comes into the organization knows what we're all about. Um, uh, and as we were growing and scaling the organization, you're hiring a bunch of people. You know, we, we said, let's take a step back and look at the set of things that we all value in, in the folks that are in the room here um, uh, that, that uh, are at the company today. Let's document that so that it's clear, you know, as you're hiring new folks, as you're spinning up an office in a new company, it's clear what you value as an organization. Uh, and so first, that, that, that's sort of the, the first part of getting this right. Um, don't have it just be a bunch of words that are created by a team that don't map to what people care about. Start with what are the things that you do care about. <laughs> Ask the room, right? Um, you know, what are the, these things that, that you care about? That, that was sort of where they, they came from. 
Um, and so you'll, and then you'll see things in there that are representative of the language that uh, we were already using at Twilio. Uh, so uh, one of them is uh, no shenanigans, um, uh, which is really about you know uh, dealing with our customers and each other in an honest and transparent manner. Right, um, and one of the things that you frequently will hear in meetings at Twilio is like, "We'll be proposing something. Well, maybe we do it this way." And you're like, "Ah, that sounds like shenanigans," and 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 it's not super well defined, right? Um, there's not like a definition. This is shenanigans, but you know it when you see it, right? Um, uh, it, it's it's when you're not being transparent, when you're not being straightforward, uh, and that's both how we deal with each other and making sure that that's how you deal with your customers. Right, you know, and we, we talk a lot about no shenanigans and what that means, and you know, uh, if we have a service outage, we're clear about it. Um, you know, uh, Twilio isn't perfect. Um, uh, no company out there is, and, and when we've had had problems, we tell our customers exactly what occurred, um, uh, and you know, we we've posted those in our blog. We have a status page. We're, we try and be as clear about what's going on as possible, uh, because that just feels like a no shenanigans type approach, yeah. right? It just feels the right thing to do, uh, and and we really believe developers appreciate that too. Um, you know, developers know, you know, software is hard. Um, uh, not everything is perfect. And we spend a lot of time trying to get it right, but we're not perfect either. And, and developers appreciate a lot more um, when we go and just say, hey, here's where it didn't work out. Here's what happened. Here's the mistake we made. Here's what we're doing to fix it. Uh, we're we're going to uh, ensure that mistake never happens again. Um, and, and we outline that to, to, to folks. But uh, so that, that's one example. The other one that I love uh, is draw the owl. Um, so draw the owls, and I was like, well, what is that? So there's this internet meme. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, how to draw an owl. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so that's something we show every uh, new employee uh, when they come on board. But, but really what that means here at Twilio is, you know, we're trying to do things that, are not, that have not been done before, right? right? There's not going to be a straightforward way to go do that. Um, uh, and we're perfectly okay with that. And, and um, uh, for our employees, we expect you to be tackling problems for which there is no playbook. That is okay. Um, uh, uh, and so you'll, you'll see this frequently. It's like, yeah, that's going to be tricky. You're going to need to draw the owl on that. People will say that. In, in a it's like, what do they mean? It's like, I don't actually, I can't even tell you exactly what you need to do to get this done. You're going to need to figure it out. Sure. Uh, and we're all okay with that. It may work, it may not, but we expect you to draw the out. We expect you to go figure it out. And, and if something isn't working, you're going to change and you're going to keep moving until you get it right. How do you select for that quality during hiring? Because that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Because uh, So what, if people are listening and they don't understand what the draw the owl thing means, basically, is that like uh, if there's a problem you need to solve, you're going to have to figure out how to solve it on your own. And that seems like, because I know that there's some people that walk through the door and maybe they just came from college. And I think a lot of people after college, they're used to this sort of like recipe for how to solve problems, because that's kind of the way that college forces you to think is like, okay, you learn something, you study for it, and then you're going to take this test that's going to judge how well you understand the recipe for solving this problem, which is not at all how things work in the real world. And Draw the Owl is sort of the uh, epitome of that. So how do you test for that during hiring? Yeah, so, so there's sort of uh, uh, two things we have. We have our nine things, which I was just talking about, which are sort of the, the uh, equivalent of values, and then we have um, the Twilio leadership principles. Um, uh, and the leadership principles, uh, we, we found ourselves, so one, one of the nine things is be frugal. We found ourselves sitting in um, uh, many of our hiring process like, asking exactly that question which is like you know is this person frugal like i don't know like yeah. looking at their watch like what, what's the right way to evaluate that um uh and and so uh what we did was we also came up with the leadership principles um which is sort of wear the customer shoes um that, that's one of ours be intellectually honest 
Um, uh, and so we have uh, these two uh, means we uh, evaluate. One, one is what are our cultural values? What are the things we care about? Uh, those are the nine things. And then leadership principles are more around who, what are the type of people we hire? Um, uh, you know, what do we reward? Who do we promote? Um, and what are the behaviors that we want to see from Twilio's? And, and at Twilio, we believe that um, uh, you know, leadership uh, is a behavior, not a position. It's not management. Right, um, uh, leadership is an attribute anybody in the organization uh, ought to be showing, and it's not equivalent to management. Um, uh, and so we we have those those behaviors, and they are a lot more of the, the type of things that, that you're talking about that, that you can evaluate um, in an, in an interview. Right, you can say, you know, uh, one of my, my favorite uh, uh, discussion points with candidates is like, tell me about a, a, a product uh, scenario where you made a mistake. Like, um, what did you get wrong? Yeah. Um, are you self-aware? Did you figure? Did you realize that you got it wrong? How did you course correct? How did you fix it? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, were you intellectually honest in realizing that you've made plenty of mistakes? Um, uh, and, uh, and and those are the the, the 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 leadership principles are really the things that we try and evaluate um, uh, in the interviews, um, uh, and and they're more tailored to behaviors uh, rather than uh, sort of values like um, you know no shenanigans, draw the L. As we draw to a close, are there any um, recommendations you have for engineers, because most of the people listening are engineers, what are the recommendations you have for engineers for how they can improve their relationship with the product management team? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that works really well at Twilio and uh, would encourage it um, everywhere is sometimes PMs shield their engineers from the customer. Uh, and I would say, you know, sit down with, with your product teams um, that are in these customer meetings and say, like, hey, I'd love to be involved. Um, I'd love to, to, to better understand because you get a better appreciation for um, uh, uh, who the customer is, uh, the challenges the, the product manager may have that, that maybe uh, the engineers aren't always aware of, um, uh, and, and get yourself involved. Um, and, and typically, uh, uh, most PMs, are they welcome it, right? Um, uh, and, and I'd say on the flip side, um, where you're dealing with a hard technical challenge that that uh, maybe the PM isn't aware of, you're tackling something that uh, uh, you know uh, the the PM may not make them aware of it. Um, uh, you know, in, in at Twilio, um, given our product is for developers, uh, many of our product managers are ex-developers themselves, um, engineers by trade, uh, and so uh, I think. Uh, uniquely, that, that that works really, really well here. There's a, a really good, tight collaboration between the engineering teams that, that, uh, and the product teams, and it's all all one team. They they see themselves less about what their role is and their title is, and more about the problem they're solving for customers. Uh, and I think that's that's the the, the part that's that's most in, in important. Um, uh, and so, so yeah, I'd, I'd say that the biggest thing is, is give folks context. Um, uh, both the PM helping get more context to the engineer, and if if your PM isn't involving you with customers, ask them. Like uh, uh, it's a, the best way to, to make sure we're building the right thing. Um, uh, and then and then vice versa, where uh, where you're dealing with a hairy technical problem, don't feel like you need to shield your product manager from it. Say, hey, listen, <laughs> I thought it was going to be X story points. I got in there. It looks very, very different. Um, uh, and, you know, here's what I'm worried about. Give them that other context um, uh, and then work together. Say, okay, we can reprioritize this. We can push out that uh, rather than sort of just sort of uh, moving forward to hit a date or to hit a launch or, or anything. Give folks context uh, uh, typically, uh, I think, is one of the best ways to, to ensure you have a good working relationship. One other thing we've done at Twilio, um, which I think is important, so teams own and operate their services in production. Um, we have uh, the product managers actually feel the pager pain as well. 
Um, uh, uh, and so, you know, when a service isn't performing, um, uh, it's not just the engineers that are on call that get paged. The PMs get paged as well. They have a very different role in the on-call process here at Twilio. Um, uh, they're responsible for, you know, I talked about transparently communicating with customers. The PMs take point on that. Uh, whereas the engineers are taking point on fixing those services, but it allows the PM to understand the the, the customer impact of technical debt, right? Um, uh, and it, it creates, I think, a really really good um, understanding, be, empathy on the product side for what engineering is working on, and, and vice versa. When when hey, you know, uh, we haven't had any problems. The, the services are operating great, um, and the PM saying, hey, we can go faster. We want, we should add this new capability. They do it from a, a place of understanding and of knowledge of what's important to our customers, um, and so. It really builds better empathy between um, uh, the product managers and, and the engineers. And, and I think it, you really want to make sure that you're at a place where folks care less about role, title, et cetera. And it's more about what are we all doing to solve, solve this problem uh, for our customers. Okay, so last question. Uh, kind of unrelated to Twilio, but I noticed that you studied human-computer interaction. And we live in a tremendously fast-moving time now and i'm sure you are bearing witness to this as twilio is the underpinnings of a lot of um you know revolutionary applications what do you have any interesting predictions for how human computer interaction is going to evolve over the next five or ten years yeah so one of the things that we're seeing that is is pretty exciting is sort of the uh ai and bots and sort of changing how people communicate yeah uh and people underestimate this yes so we're seeing a ton of that um on the platform and it's still very very early days um it's very very early days Uh, most of the bots i've interacted with (laughs) are not particularly compelling um uh, but it's very very early days um uh, and so so this is sort of one of the the changes that you know we're seeing is that but like when, when i mess around with an echo or a google home i really do start to get the early iPhone feeling. You know, it's like the feeling you had in the early days of the smartphone. You're like, this is pretty profound. Yeah, and this is really, really just the start. Um, uh, And, you know, uh, there's, uh, I think, a lot of good that that these services are going to create for consumers out there. A lot of, uh, it's going to make technology, frankly, a lot more approachable, a lot more accessible. Right, like a lot of the reasons why you know I have I have an uh, Alexa at home, I've you know smart home lights everything. Uh, a lot of the reason why smart homes hadn't taken off is that the interface for smart homes didn't make any sense. Um, uh, but now that you have uh, things like Alexa, you can put you know you can buy a six pack of Alexas, put them in every room. <laughs> now that you have these type of, of interfaces, it's changing what you can do with um, uh, technology. Um, uh, and so we're seeing a ton of that on on the platform, changing the way. Um, uh, Humans both interact with other humans, and humans interact with machines. Um, and one of the things that, that I'm really excited about is actually the blend in between uh, uh, these, where you may start off, you know, hey, what are, what are the store hours? You may be, uh, you know, chatting with a business. What are your store hours? What's the menu look like? You start off with these things that are that machines can solve really well, and then later on, you say like, ah. Oh, can you tell me a little bit, let's say it's the, the menu example I'm going through. It's like, well, tell me about how you cook that pasta. Like, like maybe something that a machine doesn't solve well. Yeah. Like, great. Now we can seamlessly bridge uh, and automate a bunch of these interactions, seamlessly bridge to a human as well. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I'm, I'm really, really excited about um, uh, the, the advancement of AI and how that's going to change how we communicate with one another, how we communicate with businesses um, uh, and brands. And I think it's actually going to create a challenge for a lot of businesses out there, which is that now you need to communicate with your customers in so many different channels. 
Like, you like roll it, roll the time back to like you know uh, the mid '90s. It was like you had a phone number, and that was how your customers communicated with you. Now it's like your customers are going to send messages to you on Messenger. They're going to talk to your Alexa <laughs> to get support. Uh, and and uh, really, a lot of what we're doing here at Twilio is is allowing folks to have a unified platform to build those type of experiences on top of plug machines on one end, um, plug humans uh, sometimes on the other end, uh, and unify that across all the different channels that your customers are going to be talking to you in. Well, Pat. Thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. This was a great interview. Yeah, it was fantastic to have you. All right, thank you. Wow.